Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church Podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. I once heard a story of a comedian by the name of Rita Rutner. She once said this, and I totally agree with her. I love being married because there's nothing better than committing to annoy a person for the rest of your life. <laughs> Nobody can annoy you like your spouse, right? There's a lot of truth to that. Like, like take, for example, just like little things annoy us. Take for me, just pillows. I need to have my perfect pillow. Not all pillows are created equal. Some are flat, some are fluffy. When you got a big old head like this, man, you need the right pillow. But Jennifer does not understand this for the life of her. She will get my pillow. She's like, what is the big deal? Like, like I want to give you an inside look into the Frescas house. Watch this. If it's working, Lord, let it be healed. Is it healed? The screen. Glory, miracles. It's working again. Oh, that's, uh, that's my pillow. What? That pillow behind you, that one. That one's mine. Well, there's two perfectly good pillows right there. No way. This one's too puffy and this one's too flat. Can I have my pillow, please? I need it. It's perfect for my special head needs. Well, I'm sorry. I'm all set up here. So why don't you lay your special head on one of these pillows, close your eyes, and fall asleep. Is that what you think happens here every night? I just... Close my eyes and fall asleep. Yeah, that's pretty much how it goes down. Okay, Carrie, that is my pillow, and I want her now. And I am telling you, Doug, that I'm not moving. Man, that is a night at the Frescas house. How many of you guys feel that? Say amen. Right there. Like some people get annoyed at pillows. Others, you guys, you guys get annoyed at smaller things like toilet paper. And the argument goes like this. Should you go over with the toilet paper or should you go under with the toilet paper? Who, how many over people we have in here? How many under people? Okay. I think all the shorter people go under. I'm under. And then there are people who have no regard for the laws of nature, and they just do this junk with the toilet paper. Watch this. Oh. That's World War III right there. They just don't stack it for it. Man, this is absolutely crazy. And this is what this whole argument goes. You tell your spouse, it just takes five seconds to put it on the roll. And what they tell you, if it just takes five seconds, why don't you put it on the roll yourself? And I heard of a story of this husband and wife that got so animated about this argument of toilet paper that, that this is how it goes. That when the toilet paper got down to the cylinder, they got into this fight about I change it, no, you change it, no, you should change it. And they're going back and first, forth. And finally, one of the days, the husband says, I'm going to show her. So every time the toilet paper got all the way down to the cylinder, this is what this man who was very smart, strategic, and methodical did. He went and he began to sign the toilet paper roll put a date and a time on it 
And then he found a trash can. And every time he changed the toilet paper, he put a roll in there for proof that he was the one changing the toilet paper. And he did this. This guy was preparing for war. This guy had been a general somewhere. (laughs) And eventually, sure enough, the argument comes up. She starts saying, you never change the toilet paper. And he says, I change it all the time. I change it more than you do. And I have proof. And and they're back and forth. And he goes, I'm going to show you. So he goes in and he pulls out this trash can full of toilet papers. There's the proof. There's the dates. And he looks at his wife. I told you. His wife says, you're sick. You're crazy that you would do that. This man was not very smart. That's how you win a battle and you lose a war. In marriages, there's going to be conflict. Like all couples fight. If you've had an argument in your marriage, raise your hand right there in your relationship. Everybody says amen. If you've never had an argument, now's a good time to check out and watch this another podcast because you're perfect. But for the rest of us, there's battle and there's drama. See, Jennifer and I were talking about our first argument the other day, and we were remembering the details, and we got in a fight talking about how we got into our first fight. You know, like, like she thinks differently than I do. Like, man, and man, sometimes our battles get so intense. Like a couple days ago, Jennifer, I got her down. She was in her hands and her knees, and she was screaming at me. She was yelling. The fight got that intense. And she, you know what she was saying? You know what? She had the audacity to tell me. She said, come out from under that bed and fight like a man, you little weenie. <laughs> like, no way. She gets mean. She gets mean. But, but conflict happens in all relationships. And marriage tends to especially bring it out. That's why I told you the first week that there are no such thing as married people issues. There are single people issues that happen to be brought out in marriage. And there are people who know how to learn, that learn how to deal with conflict well, and they especially can handle conflict in the marriage. And there are people that don't know how to deal with conflict at all, and then their marriage gets crazy. So your ability to handle conflict is beginning to, like, let me ask you, let me tell you this. If it's everybody else's fault, it's probably not their fault. If you got drama with every job and at your house and your parents and everybody, let me tell you, it's not them, it's you. And, And that's what happens. And this morning, we're going to look at Ephesians 5, and we're going to look at the story of the Song of Songs that deal with conflict, and we're going to learn how to deal with conflict. How many of you guys want to just learn the biblical way to deal with conflict, and you want less conflict in your life? This could be a life-changing message, so let's pray. Jesus, speak to us. Let us learn from your example. Strengthen our marriages and help, help us to handle conflict the right way, Lord. Amen. Let's start with the verse that we skimmed over the past couple weeks. It's in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25. It says this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to stop right here. I want you to circle, underline, highlight, smiley face this word. That he might sanctify her. Having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he may present the church to himself in splendor so that he might, uh, I'll say it again, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. The context of this verse, I want you to understand, is conflict. And Paul says that the pattern for our marriages are the cross, that we would love our spouses like Christ loved the church. See, the cross was all about our conflict with God and how God responded to that conflict. And Paul uses that to show us something that's very important. He shows us the goal of marriage. 
And the goal of your marriage, according to verse 26, is this, is that he would sanctify us, our sanctification, that he would make us holy, that he would make us more like Christ. See, in marriage, you are learning to be more like Jesus by washing the feet of another sinner who has sinned against you. In marriage, you are helping your spouse be more like Jesus. And the fact that you have conflict doesn't mean that you married the wrong person. Quite contrary, the fact that you have conflict is the fact that you've married the right person and God is using that conflict that you would be able to live out the gospel. See, God's purpose in your marriage is not just to make you happy, though that's part of it because the Bible says it's not good for a man to be alone, but the main purpose of marriage is to make you both holy by giving you a laboratory to expose your sin and teach you how to love like Christ loved the church. That's why nobody, I mean nobody, can get you as mad as your spouse because they're close to you. I remember Jennifer and I got in a huge argument one day early on in our marriage. And, and I said, Jennifer, everybody loves me. Like, seriously, man, it's some dumb. How many of you guys know, like, like, husbands just say dumb things. Like, I, I say, everybody loves me. I get along with everybody. I started naming, you're the only person that gets mad at me. It's your fault. It's not them. And then I looked at James chapter 4, verse 1, and it hit me like a Mike Tyson punch in the face. Why are there battles that desire within you? Isn't it come from your desires within you? And I realized, you know what? The reason that Jennifer gets me so mad is because she sees the real me. Everybody sees a fake veneer. Everybody just sees a front. But she's the only person that sees the real me. And I'm realizing that I don't like the real me. And she brings out the real me. And I better learn to deal with the real me or God can't change me. And that's what marriage does. It pushes you close to somebody you get so close to them and they bring out things in you that nobody else can that's why you get so mad at your spouse it's not them it's you it's you and God uses these things. He brings these desires outside of us. He exposes our sin. And he says marriage, the goal is the cross. Because we had irreconcilable, these differences with God, these irreconcilable differences with God. And the cross is what God did about our sins and our differences and our offenses. And that's how we learn to respond in marriage. He says, look at the cross. Here's the principle. One of God's primary goals in marriage is making you holy. And God's means of doing that is teaching you to carry the cross for another sinner and to reveal the issues in your heart that don't exemplify the very nature and the character of Christ. That's what marriage is all about. And with that understanding, we're going to look at a newlywed couple in the Song of Songs or Song of Solomon and see what caused their first fight. Song of Songs is a poetic book in the Old Testament. It's called the Christian's Love Song. It's a song about King Solomon and his new bride, the Shulamite woman. If you've never read it, let me tell you, it gets hot up in there. They will pull back no punches. You're going to be like, oh, my God, that's in the Bible. How come I haven't read that before? Woohoo! glory to God. I love you, Jesus. Man, that's an anointed book. I'm just telling you. But I would not recommend it for family devotions at all. Absolutely just weird, awkward. We tried it one time. No, I'm just kidding. We did it. No. But if you're married, it's a must read, especially every night. If you want to read that, babe, let's study the Song of Songs together, honey. So let's pick up their story in chapter 5, starting with verse 2. And let me give you some context. 
They're a, they're a newly married couple. They just had an amazing honeymoon, according to chapter 4. And I mean, they go into great description about how amazing it was. But now here in chapter 5, the honeymoon is over. And we see this young bride, and she's in bed. And look what she says in verse 2. I slept, but my heart was awake. In other words, she's restless. She's stressed. And listen what she says. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Her husband comes. Solomon comes. He knocks at the door, and he says, now watch this. He's going to make a move. It's sexual advancement that he's going to make towards her. He's Casanova, move over. Look, look how he butters her up. Look at all these names. Open to me, my sister. Oh, that doesn't work unless you're in Arkansas. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. Like, like he's spinning some serious game. He's going for it. And he says, man, I've been working hard. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. He says, oh, man, he says, I have worked hard, baby, and I'm ready for some loving. But she's restless, and she's been waiting up. We don't know where he was. Maybe he was working late. Maybe he was out with the guys watching the game and went in overtime. But whatever the case, he's been late. Romeo's coming in. He's making a move on Juliet. But watch this. He's going to get stiff-armed. He wants a little loving, and she's too tired. This happens to me all the stinking time at the house. I mean... It's long, long days, lots going on, sermons, like meetings with the city, and, and Jennifer's coming, hey, baby, she wants me. And I'm tired, I tell her, I'm not a piece of meat, I'm a person. Like, I'm tired, babe, not again tonight. Just kidding, it's the other way around, you know that. No way, I'm never tired, right? But what's interesting, in the chapter before, they descriptively detail their honeymoon night. And she wasn't tired that night. Now they're married, and she makes a move, and she says to him in, in, in verse 3, Look, I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? She's basically saying, You're here too late. Forget about it. This is a Hebrew way of saying, Not tonight. I got a headache, babe. I'm tired. She turns him down. And when she does, we're going to see a fight break out. And we're going to look at the three most common root causes of conflict. And we're going to see them all expressed in this couple's actions. The first one is this, unmet expectations. We see both of them having their expectations that were not met. She was expecting him to come early. And she was, he was expecting a little bit of love. Neither of them got what they expected. So now there was conflict, unmet expectations. We all have them. I have them. You have them. Everybody has them. And what you're experiencing right now and the frustration you're experiencing in your marriage is being married to you was different than I expected. I thought you'd be more involved. I thought you'd be more considered. I thought you'd be more spiritual, more whatever you can add to the list. And what, remember what we learned the first week, that only God can meet our deepest needs. No person can meet all our deepest needs. And, and what we learned the second week, Pastor Noel was sharing, man, we can't turn our expectations into all these, all these different areas because then it'll, be, it'll turn to entitlement. But here's what I would say. It's good for your marriage to clarify some reasonable expectations. Because unmet expectations come from unexpressed expectations. That's why communication is the key. And I remember Jennifer and I were married three or four years, and we got into a fight. Like, I mean a doozy. Those of you guys that are married, you guys remember like the handful, okay, maybe a couple. Okay, okay, maybe one of the many fights you've had before, and it was one of those big fights. It was like crazy. It was like, man, had the kids. It was a band, battle royal. I like, hope the neighbors aren't listening right now kind of fights. So we got in this big fight. 
And it, things were going crazy, and, and it's, it's one of those fights where you go to your room and pray, and I'll go to my room and pray, and we're going to come out. And, and one of the things that we did, we did a beautiful exercise that forever changed the course of our marriage. He says, this is what we're going to do. Wait till we've gone over this anger, and we're going to write down in the list the top five reasonable expectations. We're going to pray over it and see what we can actually meet these expectations, see if they're realistic. So Jennifer went into another room in the house. I went to another room in the house, and we prayed, and we looked over expectations, and we had a list of the top five needs that we wanted the other person to meet in order, and we prayed over those after the emotions had come down, and we, gave him, we delivered each other those notes probably about three or four hours after the fight. And that one was one of the best things we've ever did. Because all of a sudden we know what she wants. And she, she, I know what she wants. She knows what I want. We're able to meet those needs. I got that list. And I had it in my sock drawer for years. And one of the reasons that many of you guys are struggling is you just haven't communicated. Communication is the key. Just say, hey, man, you don't have to wait for a big fight to do this. I go home tonight and say, hey, babe, what, what are your top three expectations, your top five expectations? Be reasonable. Pray about that and be able to squash the desire for unmet expectations. And remember, nobody can meet all your expectations. Only Christ can. But what are the reasonable expectations that you're expecting from your spouse? The second cause of this fight was huge. It's selfishness. Look, look how many times I appears in verse three. I have taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I have washed my feet. Must I soil them again? Selfish needs says, what about my needs? What about what I'm doing? What about your desires? See, many of you, you fight over little petty things. It just cracks me up. It, it blows me away. People come in our office and they, they fight about finances. They fight about how they should raise the kids. Jennifer and I, we fight over big, huge, life-altering things. We fight over what movie we should watch on date night. We fight whether or not I should mow the lawn at the time she says or not. We fight what day I should throw out the trash. And the reason we fight is because I don't want to watch another Nicholas Sparks movie. I can't handle the suspense. Like I want to watch Avengers Endgame. Like, I don't want to mow the lawn right now. I want to watch the game. You can wait a little bit. I don't want to throw out the trash right now. It does not need to be thrown out right now. I'm a little bitter about it. Give me some time, and after I decompress, I'll throw out the trash then. It doesn't need to happen now. Anybody can relate to that. Here's the thing. Jennifer is constantly, me, constantly asking me to do things I don't want to do. That's why we fight. She's interrupting my desires with hers. And you know what? My desires are more important. This is my attitude. I'm more important than you are. So whatever you want, whatever you need, whatever you're doing, stop because me and my desires, they're more important than me. And selfishness is this. Why would you inconvenience? Why, why would you inconvenience me with you? Why would you inconvenience me with you? Don't, don't you know how important I am? Don't inconvenience me with you. And selfishness causes so many fights. Selfishness. Just thinking about the other person. Thinking about your needs, your desires, what you want. And let me tell you, I'm constantly fighting this attitude all the time in my marriage, and so are you. It's something that we've got to continually get on the cross and die to because we are naturally selfish people. The third issue we see here is this one, pride. Proverbs 13.10 says that pride leads to arguments. Pride will take a little argument and make it a big fight because you get stuck in your own feelings. You want to prove your point. You're like, no, you're not going to do that. Are you serious? So you just, reminds me of this iconic scene from one of my favorite movies. Check this out. We can get it. Let's see if it's working. Man, we laugh, but 
I could see myself in that movie, something small. And because I'm up on my feelings and I want to prove my point, I got to make it something big. And before you, like, let me tell you, one of the greatest theologians of our time, Kenny Rogers, once said, you got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. You got to know when to walk away. And you got to know when to run. But it's so hard to let it go, right? Pride says, I want to be right. You know how this shows up with Jennifer and I? We still have two kids living in the house, so we don't have much time to fight during the day. She'll say something, something will happen, but when we close the door and they're in bed, it's on like Donkey Kong. I bring up something, I react, and we get so mad sometimes, we just assume the back-to-back position. You guys ever been to back-to-back position? Time to go to bed. I'm on my side of the bed, and my back's facing her. She's on her side of the bed, and her back's facing me, and all of a sudden, there are all these rules that somehow we just know. It's kind of, nobody's ever taught us, but it just happened. For example, when you're in a back-to-back fight, you never let any of your body touch them, never. Like, like you just, you can't touch. Like, like, man, you're going right there, and you're moving, and like, psh, your foot touches him. Oh, no, you ain't getting any toe tonight. You think you're going to get some toe after you did that? No toe for you tonight. Like, you, no, no, no touching when you're in a back-to-back fight. And then all of a sudden, you just stop talking. You just lay there, and you're thinking to yourself, if I talk first, I lose. If you talk first, I win. Just talk, just talk, just talk. That's an incredibly godly way to fight. Not really. And you're silent for such a period of time, and, and you're just... And you're there, and you're hoping they talk, and you're not touching. And this is what you do. You just go, (gasps) (coughs) (coughs) and what you're doing is is you're just letting them, I'm awake if you want to apologize and tell me I'm right. (laughs) I'm still here, baby. We laugh because it's so relatable, isn't it? It's all about me. It's all about me wanting to prove my point. Pride comes in. And let's pick up in this story how Solomon becomes proud. He's making some sort of move towards her for whatever reason. Her heart softens. And for that moment, she decides to receive him. But at this point, she's already, deci- she's already hesitated. So Solomon says, it's too little, too late. He's going to exit the premises. Watch verse 4. Watch the pride emerge in him. My beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I arose to open my, for my beloved. My hands dripped with myrrh. My fingers with the flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. In verse 6, now watch her do the right thing. And I opened the door for my beloved. But watch. Pride enters in. But my beloved left. He was gone. Too little, too late. I'm gone, he says. She says, she says the words, and this is a powerful word. It really captured my heart as I was reading this story. She says, my heart sank at his departure. And there are many of you here this morning that your heart is sinking because what's going on in your marriage, you say, my love has, my beloved has departed. Maybe not physically departed, but emotionally departed. There's this wall up. There's this fence up. There's this loss of intimacy because of the conflict. And let me tell you, the enemy's agenda for your marriage is destruction. His strategy is division. And his tactic is offense. And all these offenses that will come and build up in our lives. And I want to illustrate to you exactly how this happens. How unmet expectations, selfishness, pride separate us in marriage. Can I have a married couple help me? I think I got some. Hey, Lynn and Jeffrey, come up here. You're a good looking couple. I need you up here. Give it up for Lynn and Jeffrey and we can move this out real quick. They're going to come help me out. And what I'm going to do is I am going to talk about how a 
offenses want to destroy your marriage. All these things we talk about and how we deal with that. Give it up for, man, our usher's director, Jeffrey, and his beautiful wife, Lynn. Come up here. Okay, I'll kind of get you set up. So, Lynn, you're going to be right here. Okay, you're going to be on this side. Can you be on this side? And just kind of facing him. Just like look at him like you love him, like you love him. And Jeffrey, come over here. You just look at So how long have you guys been married? Three years, so they're still newly kind of married, but not then there. So, so some of us that are a little bit older, so this is, this is kind of what happens. So I'm, we're going to illustrate how the enemy will build a, a fence in our lives. He's, he, that's what he wants to do. So we're just going to kind of hold this back and forth and kind of check this out because here's the reality. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when offenses will come. Just hold it. I'll just hold it right there. They're going to come in our marriage. They're going to come from all different things. They're going to come from pride. They're going to come from selfishness. They're going to come from unexpectations. And for us men, if we're honest, they're going to come because we're just plain stupid. We're dumb. Like we say dumb, dumb things. Like, like, like for example, Jeffrey, like, like when Jennifer and I first got married, we were married a week. Man, things were awesome. Man, I, man we were so in love. And, and she lovingly, I still remember, you know what she did? She, you know what she did for me? She went and she ironed my clothes to get them ready for church. And the first time she ever ironed my clothes, she got everything ready. She was setting it up. And she says, here, babe, here's the clothes. I just ironed your shirt for you. And you know what I said. I said this. Babe, when my mom irons my clothes, she makes the creases really sharp. These creases on my shirt aren't really sharp, babe. And you know what she said? Well, then, you can have your mom iron your clothes from now on. Because you're not going, I'm not going to iron your clothes. And it's been 20 years since she's ironed my clothes. And my creases aren't very sharp. And what happens an offense was built just by stupid things that we say. Like, like sometimes it's so we, we have diarrhea of the mouth. We don't even know what the heck we're saying sometimes. But sometimes it just comes out. And when it comes out, if we're not careful, we begin to lay down an offense of the person that we love the most. And, and it's not just us offending her. The, the offenses go back and forth and we keep passing offenses to one another. And not only do we offend him with our words, and like one of the things that we learned in this, there's, we offend him with our unmet expectations. Because like I said, unmet expectations because we have, uh, unmet expectations come because we have unexpressed expectations. Like say, for example, in Lynn's house, like on her birthday, like they did it right. Her, her birthday was huge. Like they came in and, and her dad made her little smiley eggs with uh, little, little smiley faces with eggs and pancakes and syrup. And they sang to her every birthday and they just it was awesome. But, but at Jeffrey's house, birthdays weren't a big deal. Like, why would they be, be a big deal? Like, like, you were just born. Like, what do you have to do with this birthday? You had nothing for it. Like, like, why would you celebrate a birthday? Like, what did you do? You were just born, right? But at Lynn's house, it was a massive deal for birthdays. It was amazing for her birthdays. And all of a sudden, they have their first birthday together. And Lynn is expecting flowers and pancakes and eggs that have little smiley faces on them. And she's expecting this big old, and he gets up and he doesn't know. Oh, he doesn't know. Oh, Lord, poor guy. <laughs> and what happens in here, like this whole area right here, is oh, it's going to be fighting if you don't know. 
You better figure it out, right? So he, he, he doesn't know. So his plan, she, she loves going to Jack Allen's. You like going to Jack Allen's or not really? What's your favorite place? Pluckers. She loves going to Pluckers. That's my kind of lady. Oh! She loves going to Pluckers. So he's going to take her to Pluckers. They're going to have all kinds of chicken wings. And he's planning to take her to Pluckers and all kinds of stuff. But in that morning, he wakes up. He, he gives her a kiss. But there's no eggs with smiley faces and there's no sun. And he leaves and he doesn't even know it. But he handed her an offense. This is what happens, right? Unexpected things that we do. Stupid stuff that we say. This right here, let me tell you, marriage and relationships is a breeding ground for offense. And it's not that way. It happens so many different ways. It even happens in our recreation. Like say, Jeffrey likes to go to the gym and hang out. Of course, he can't have guns like that without not going to the gym. He likes going to the gym. But now Lynn's like, oh, I need time to spend with me. But I'm trying to get buff for you. And she's like, I need more time. And, and Lynn, you know, she relaxes. She loves to go shopping. I'm not saying this. I don't know if you do. I'm just saying that she loves to go shopping. And like she relaxes by going shopping. And she goes back in there. But Jeffrey and every man in here, when your wife goes shopping, you're just thinking, man, those are not shopping bags. Those are bombs about to be detonated into your bank account. But for her, what she is thinking is like, no, this is relaxing. This is awesome. This is incredible. I am shopping. And Lynn is coming and she's balling. She's got the product. She's got the code. She's chilling and she's working. And Jeffrey's working overtime. He's trying to save. He's trying to get ready for the new. He's just grinding it out. He's got the financial plan. And all of a sudden, he sees all these bags and he is like, this isn't very good. But you know what Lynn says? Don't worry, Jeffrey. Don't worry. Because I found him on sale. That's right. That's right. He found him on sale. But us men know that sale is the biggest lie in marketing from the devil. There's no such thing as sale. And what she has done is she has handed him an offense. And what happens is, come back here, Jeffrey, with me. He's back there and he's thinking about it at night like, man, life's changing for us. A new baby coming. I'm working overtime. She's just thinking about her. She doesn't need another pair of shoes. Oh, Lord. And, and, and this is what the devil comes to come with her here. She doesn't respect you. She doesn't love you. She doesn't want your leadership. Man, she doesn't care what happens with this. The enemy, put it in there. Put it in there, Jeffrey. Begins to build an offense. And for, for Lynn, for, for Lynn, it kind of works like this. She's still thinking about her first birthday three years ago from their marriage. It's been three years since somebody sang her happy birthday and put smiley faces on her eggs. And what she's doing is she's just thinking, there's an offense. Here, you put it in there because you're the one that has the offense, not me. Right there. She, she puts it in there. And what happens in marriage is all of a sudden the offense starts to build. And he's he should have done and she should have said and she's not considered and he doesn't pick up his clothes and he leaves the shoes out all the time and, and, and she doesn't say she's thankful. She doesn't compliment my biceps enough, whatever it might be, right? <laughs> and before we know it, this breeding ground for an offense, the enemy wants to bring all this division with us and one another. And, and this is what happens. You know, it's been said this. I've told you. It says that 
Opposites attract, and then all of a sudden when they get married, they attack. And, and what Jeffrey loved about Lynn is, man, she was quiet and mysterious and confident. That was awesome when they were dating, but now that they're married, like, she doesn't talk. I need more information. I need more conversation. Like, what? Like, talk to me. And, and Lynn is like, Jeffrey, like, what she loved about him when they first got married, like, he's the life of the party. He lights up a room everywhere he goes. There is just things are happening. He's an amazing guy. But now he won't shut up. You're like, Jeffrey, shut up. He wakes up talking. He goes to bed talking. I just need some quiet time. Shut up, Jeffrey. Right? Like, Shut up! That's what she's thinking. And all these things that begin to attract us to one another begin to build an offense. And, and, and the one thing that's so unique about marriage is this. Marriage has the ability to build up and bring out the best in us and the worst in us all at the same time. And it's one conversation. It goes in. Why don't you take out the trash, Jeffrey? Busy. Going on. I'm just tired. She has an offense. And he's like, oh, man. Do we need another subscription to that place? It's just killing me. It's just money going down. Or it might be something simple. Like, like for Jennifer, I might. It might be driving. There's something about driving that brings the demons out of all of us. Like some of our biggest fights have been on the highway. Like she thinks she knows where to go, and I'm the one that always looks like hey, we're always running late. Like let me tell you what happened in life group. I'm not venting. I'm just telling you, okay? Like, like this Thursday we're getting ready to go to life group. We're running a little bit of late, man. And we, I know all the back roads to get down there, but she goes over there, and she turns on the busiest highway there is. Trying to be patient, trying to be patient. But after being 10 minutes, we're like, we've made the wrong turn. And she says, okay, you think I made the wrong turn? Well, then maybe you can make a better turn than me. So we pull out into the driveway. We stop right there. He says, you know what? If you think you know how to drive so better, why don't you drive? So we got another fight discussing who should drive the life group by the end of that fight. Is it just me or is it you too? Is there sometimes some big fights when we'd be like, like just driving can cause a bunch of wedges and offenses in between us. And we ask the question, like, when are you going to stop leaving your shoes out in the living room? You know when? When you help. Man, when you clean the bathroom or when you change the toilet paper. When you start mowing the lawn. When you start helping me with the kids, driving them all over the place. It's like, like, like is this it? Like, where they, all these fights began to come in between us and all this battle and all this struggle. And before we know it, let me put this right here. Let's see what, it's tight fit right there. Tight fit. Liam, come right here. And Jeffrey, right here. What God has put together, now offense has separated. And, and, and we don't even know this, but like when Matthew 18 says this, that offense, if we don't watch it, begins to put us in a prison. And it's not really them that was in a prison. We're in the prison because we're holding on to all this offense and all this challenge and all these struggles. And, and we start thinking like, Jeffrey, we don't talk anymore. 
throat. You haven't been to Pluckers in a long time. You haven't yelled at me for shopping in forever. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, we have all this offense that's inside of us, and it, it separates us, and this is what we got to do. If we're not careful, this is how the enemy wants to do. He wants to build a wall. He wants to build a division. He wants to separate what God has put together, and we must ask ourselves, how do we deal with the pride, the unmet expectations? How do we deal with the selfishness? How do we get done with it? Maybe we can learn, like Ephesians 5 told us, that we can learn from someone. There was one who had a bunch of expectations for us, and we could not meet up to them. There was one who could keep us arm distance. There was one who we had let down and we had failed. There is one who could have put us away from his presence. But instead of building a fence, what did he do? He went to the cross. So in your marriage, there's two things that are going to happen in your marriage. And only two. Your marriage will either separate you because you hold on to the offenses your marriage will sanctify you. Your marriage will teach you to love your friends. Your marriage will begin to pull out things in you, good things in you that you didn't know that you had. And you'll experience to love deeply and care deeply and be able to drop things. It's Freedom Church. There's only two ways to live in relationships. There's a way to live in a fence or there's the way live the cross. Lynn, come on. Let's come out from under there. You've been hiding too long. And if we're going to stay together like God has for us to stay together, there's only one thing that we can do. Lynn, hold that. Drop the fence. Next time she goes and she spends a lot of money, first you talk about it and you give her a budget and you get everything right there. But after you have the tough conversation, after you clarify the goals, you don't hold on to it. You drop the offense. See, because over and over in marriage, this is what's going to happen to you. Offenses. You, you, here's what you, you can't handle what's been handed to you. But you can handle what you do with it. And here's what I've learned. Nobody has the power to offend you. You choose to be offended. So you've got to choose to drop the offense. Next time he doesn't throw out the trash and you're aggravated and you're mad, what do you do, Lynn? Drop the offense. Next time she says something, gets you mad, what do you do? And, and we, what we got to continually do is we got to learn from Jesus, the one who had the ability to hold offenses against us, the one who never was sinned against, the one that was perfect. What did he do? He dropped the offense at the cross. And before we know it, as they hold together, they're no longer going to allow the offenses to come together. But what they're going to do is they're going to live the gospel as they drop the offense. And what happens is they step over the offense and they walk into God's plan for marriage. Give it up for Lynn. Give it up for Jeffrey. Thank you so much. Dr. Gary Thomas said this. Marriages don't fall out of love. They fall out of repentance. And they fall into pride and entitlement. 
biggest thing that you need to learn to handle conflict is not to hold on to those things. There's things that have happened to you years ago. You're like, I cannot forgive him. Well, guess what? Jesus forgave you for everything that you ever did. I don't care how deep it was. I don't care how much it hurt. See, the cross is our example. The cross is our symbol. The cross is our calling card. The cross is our claim to victory. The cross is what Jesus did when we had all these offenses against him. He went on the cross. He shed his blood. He extended his hands and he says, it is dropped. And now he calls us into relationship where there's going to be all kinds of conflict and challenge and struggle. And he says the only way that this relationship is going to last is when we drop the offenses in our lives. I want everybody to bow your head and close. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church Podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.